0: Hello and welcome to Beyond the Page, a Life is Story podcast. I'm Josh Olds and today my guest is the Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes, the author of God Gets Everything God Wants. Katie, welcome to the program.
1: Josh, thanks so much for having me. I'm really glad to be here.
0: Yeah, now just to start, uh, obviously most of our listeners probably haven't read the book. They should, by the way, but they haven't yet. Uh, We want them to be pushed that direction. Can you give us just a quick overview of what the book is about.
1: You bet. So I'm a church planter, Galileo Church, my church on the outskirts of Fort Worth, Texas, is just about eight years old. And um, our our main reason for being is to seek and shelter spiritual refugees. And spiritual refugees are people who have um, felt, they've, they've experienced the kind of collapse of their Christian faith I'm here in the Bible Belt. Everybody here has met Jesus at some point or another. Um, and they felt the collapse of that for all kinds of reasons. Um, and they're working through that sort of process of deconstruction and, and maybe kind of uh, concussed, sitting in the rubble of what used to be their faith and sort of wondering what to do next. And um, you can make an amazing community of beloveds out of folks exactly like that. Um, who for a little while need to talk about what they don't believe anymore. They've worked so hard to get to the place where they can with some clarity say, yeah, you know, some of these things I was given as a child, I inherited from my parents or the church of my youth. I don't believe that stuff anymore. And we've worked pretty hard to get to a place of honesty about that. The next step then for those of us who have been through that experience is to try to say in the positive, okay, then what do we believe? Because I say now about my own Christian faith, that I believe a lot less than I used to, meaning a lot fewer things, a lot piece, a lot fewer pieces of doctrine, but that the things I believe, I believe real hard. Like there, it's just a couple, and they're really deep in me. Um, and I have I have sort of settled with those things, and from there, uh, our church together is doing this sort of theological rehabilitation to rebuild something that's just much more. Um, inclusive and beautiful and generous to all of us and that this book is a distillation of that so far as we know for now.
0: I I like the point that you make about being spiritual refugees because there are so many so many people that uh, are either I think COVID really helped accelerate this I think it was a it was a trend but I even I know even for myself as a pastor as someone who uh, right around COVID hit, I also stepped out of formal ministry, and I started mm. going, "What what do I want out of church?" Just because mm. there had been a way that I had done church for so long, and I think for a lot of people that was true. They may have just felt like, "Well, this is what I've done on Sundays for my entire life," and then when they were pushed out of that pattern, even if it was just to move online, uh, they started to be rethinking of why why am i here you know what am i doing what do i want from this experience Mm -hmm. i'm not really getting or even i'm not missing it you know i had friends who who just like you know faithful committed christians continue to be uh but just like i i found out that i did not miss the church experience that
1: i had been a part of josh you're not supposed to say that out loud (laughs) (laughs) don't you know that we clergy have a code where we don't say that Out loud. No, it's absolutely true. People found that they weren't missing it. And why? Why weren't they? Well, either because um, their church was not speaking to what the gospel, um, how the gospel speaks to our current situation. In other words, the church keeps saying the same old things and they're less and less relevant every day. They're not relevant to a global pandemic. They're not global. They're not relevant to the fragmentation of the human family um, the the church just doesn't, isn't speaking into my life in a way that feels like good news, or they found that, um, though the church calls itself a family or a community, a lot of times church kind of devolves into just a series of programming decisions. We just have events on the calendar. You come, that's how this works. That's the transaction. We plan it, you show up, that's how it works. But that is not the same thing as actually sharing life together and building relationships. So if the programming disappears and you don't miss it, it may be that it's because the church wasn't actually building infrastructure for real relationships, one human being to another.
0: Right, right. And I think the other aspect of it is there, deconstruction is a very, a very buzzy word, uh, but it's also in a very important word, uh, there are a lot of people that grew up in the faith and now they're looking around and whether that's because of how the church and by that, I, I, you know, I mean, you know, in broad faction, not all the church. The way in which a lot of the church, uh, particularly in the Bible Belt, American white evangelicalism, uh, mm-hmm. the way that it's portrayed itself socially, <laughs> the way that it's portrayed itself um, politically, uh, they're just looking around and they're just like, I can't be a part of this anymore and they still love Jesus. Like they still love Jesus. But they they it all burns down. And I think what what you're doing and what you're saying, what you're hoping to do with this book is okay, yeah, everything's on fire. Uh actually I talked with Brian Zahn uh with his book Everything's on fire about a month ago and we had the same conversation. Uh everything's on fire, what do you do with it? Does it all burn down or what core things do you keep and get reconstructed? Because deconstruction is a whole lot different than demolition.
1: Yeah, that's right. And and so I use this metaphor of rehabilitation in this mm-hmm. book. Rehabilitation is something has come undone. Something's not working the way it was supposed to work. It hasn't been maintained, perhaps. It's fallen into disrepair. It could be any number of things. And when you work through rehab, it's all about getting back capacity um, and yeah, sometimes there's some demolition involved. You're going to rehab your kitchen or your house, right? Some stuff is going to, have to come out and get thrown away. But uh, if the bones are good, you know, if the structure is there, then there's um, new, new joy, new flourishing, new health, new perspective, new challenge. All of this newness can sort of be built up within that. Mm-hmm. And that, and to, to us, I mean, for Galileo church, that's absolutely what the project is, is just working through this rehabilitation of scripture, of hymns, of liturgy, um, and of the, you know, the traditions of the, of Christian faith.
0: Right. Yeah. Now I want to get to, to the book and the phrase, uh, God gets everything God wants. Uh, that that's more than just a book title for you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. important uh, to you. And I want to make sure that we're understanding it correctly. Uh, because when, what first drew me to the book was the title and the thought that, Hmm, I don't know that I agree with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, having read the book and I went, Oh, okay. I see. I see. I see where we're going with this. But then I just, I threw it out into an online group of, um, of pastors and spiritual leaders uh, that I'm friends with and, uh, didn't give them any contact, just gave them the, the title uh-huh. And uh, the reaction was people who are more conservative than me were saying, I don't I don't know about that. And people who were way more liberal than me were also saying, oh, I don't I don't know. Now, they had different reasons for saying. Yeah. Um, but so I guess what we have to do is is ask you, uh, what does that phrase mean for you?
1: Sure, sure. Um, I'm really glad that it feels provocative to people all over the spectrum of Christian faith. And that just, that feels really um, satisfying to me because I think that um, in, in this age, probably as in every age, but this is the one I know, um, Christian preachers need to stake a claim. We have to stake a claim and it's got to be a claim that people have to consider like, uh I don't know about that. Mm -hmm. And it's a faith claim, right? It's not something verifiable by empirical evidence. Um, It's just, it's something we say we believe. And as I said, we, you know, we believe it real hard. For me, God gets everything God wants is shorthand for a more nuanced sentence, which would have a lot of adverbs in it. Something like God ultimately eventually in some space time continuum that I don't have access to right now gets everything God wants. That this is a prophetic vision that the prophets of old and our contemporary prophets have continued to maintain as a faith stance. They keep saying, I understand you can't see it now, neither can I. But as you know, for Habakkuk, one of our minor prophets, positioning himself on the rampart waiting for a message and the message comes and it is there is a vision for the appointed time. If it seems to delay, wait for it, it will surely come, right? This, this is something you have to decide to believe because you don't have it in hand yet, but you decide to believe it. And then having believed it, you begin to act as if, and, and so for me now, this is sort of the Christian behavioral piece. Like then what does, how does a Christian person, a disciple of Jesus comport themselves in this world? Where clearly things have gone haywire. God is not getting what God wants in so many demonstrable ways. If Jesus comes preaching out of that desert and says, The time is now, the reign of God is so close, you can reach out and touch it, change your life, and believe that this is good news. And people are looking around going, We're still under the boot of the Romans. How is the reign of God so close we can reach out and touch it? Well, that's a faith claim. And Jesus says, If you wanna know, come follow me, I'm gonna show you that. So we're still doing that. We're still listening to that raving preacher coming hungry and sweaty out of the desert saying it's right here, right now, God getting everything God wants. And we go, okay, man, I'm with you. I hope it's true. (laughs) So, and then we act as if it is. And the more we act as if it is, I really believe in partnership with God, it becomes more and more true in our lives and the lives of our beloveds, our neighbors, Strangers and even enemies, and that's what we're we're leaning into that all the time.
0: Yeah, the first the first couple of sections of the book is where you really kind of set up that um, you know that ecclesiology, and then it gets worked out in the second half of the book. Uh, in I the like the one thing I think you if pretty much answered it, but you know on the on the liberal side of the 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 contention that I heard with the title was. Mm-hmm kind of tending towards the hyper Calvinistic, well, God gets everything God wants. Well is God the author of evil because there's obviously sin. And right. that's not where you're coming from Mm-mm. at all. Uh the other side, the other side of that is um, and I, and I thought this was very interesting that, that every person who I felt like was more conservative than me did mm-hmm. immediately go to, to that ultimate, God ultimately gets everything God wants and just said, well, what about hell? So, I, I just leave you with the question. So, what about hell?
1: <laughs> That's a great question. Okay. First of all, I should say every time I talk about this, that the most important thing to get out of this is that I don't know. Mm. I don't know. And I have gotten to a place, you know, five plus decades of Christian faith where I can say with peace in my heart, I don't know. And I think our ancestors in faith give us some pointers about that. And I think Jesus, Jesus himself actually um, gives us some directionality for that, because if ultimately God gets everything God wants, and I think that God doesn't let go of a single thing God has made and loved. I just can't, Mm -hmm. I I cannot, uh, my heart cannot sing for a maker who destroys what the maker has made. I just, I, I just, I can't. It seems so true to me that the maker having made it loves it and cares for it all the way through, all the way through, never letting go anything God has made. So if that's the case, how do then I account for the idea that Jesus himself said, there are consequences for decisions you make in this life. There are consequences. And I think that's the language of hell in scripture Um, Or God's wrath or punishment, whether it's now or in an age to come, is about that idea that indeed there are consequences for being um, self-deceived, self-reliant, self-obsessed, to the exclusion of my neighbor, so that I take more than my fair share, um, so that I'm willing to climb on the backs of the poor to get more wealth, et cetera. All of these things are warned about in scripture with God saying through the prophets and through Jesus, um, there are there are consequences that are serious for living that way. And I think about it like this, if ultimately God gets everything God wants, and that includes this beautiful vision of Isaiah and all the rest of the prophets and Jesus, that there's this huge welcome table that all are invited, that God doesn't let go of anything. God has made. When, if I have leaned into that idea, if I have made my life as broadly inclusive as I can, if I've been as generous as I can, I've been as gracious and forgiving as I can and have received the same from others. Then when God gets everything, God wants, that's going to feel like heaven to me. Mm -hmm. If on the other hand, I have maintained my privilege, my privilege, and power and prejudice, if I have been self-centered and protective, if I have sort of hunkered down in a silo of my own making where everyone agrees with me and everybody hates the same people I do, then when God gets everything God wants and that broad expanse of God's heart is wide open, that's going to hurt like hell. Mm -hmm. I won't be prepared for that at all. So that I think in a sense, it's like, it's like the same future and future here is a metaphor because for God, that time thing doesn't matter at all. But for me, it does that. It's the same future for everyone. It's just how we are disposed to it. That makes it beautiful or horrid. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. One of the things that I think this is, this is a theological issue that I feel like I'm working through. It's part of my own deconstruction, having grown up in a conservative evangelical denomination uh, and, and I guess not really, I'm honestly, not really deeply considering the issue until even after seminary, because I went to a conservative evangelical seminary as well. And now, you know, having, having really considered the issue and coming to the conclusion that like, well, you know, I, the one thing that remains for me is this idea of free will, that humans have free will. So if we have the, should we have the freedom to not choose? How then does God bring us into a kingdom if we have, through our lives, said I choose not to?
1: Yeah, I again, I don't know, <laughs> um, but I suspect that it's the 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 metaphor being carried into a new geography does not work as well for me as the idea that eventually the geographies of God and human sort of collapse on each other, and once again as as Revelation um, paints for us, you know, Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem and the new earth are, 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 are of one and God is among us. And we I think the choice there is how we dispose ourselves toward that reality in the same way in that story in Mark two. um when Jesus says to the man on the mat, your sins are forgiven and they shake their heads. The very religious people, they don't want anyone to say that they don't think Jesus has jurisdiction for that. And it does not make them happy. It's that guy's best day ever. Mm-hmm. But the VRPs in the back, the very religious people in the back, they're, 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 their skin is crawling over somebody saying something like that. It's the same Jesus. It's the same action there's nothing different happening for these two different persons it's just that they're disposed differently toward the work of god in that place so their experience of it is different they still get to choose but
0: yeah um and i think that when when i when i press people on on this um i think it comes down to a lot of people well there are some people who are looking forward to the wrath of god on others uh, the majority, I think, of evangelical Christianity is just looking at it in the sense of, like, well, there has to be justice. And they feel like there has to be a punishment. Well, then of course, I go back to the cross. Like, hello, uh, all sins were forgiven there. Yeah. But there is there is almost this sense, I think, of, of well, isn't that unfair? If, you know, like, well, or like, you know, why would I follow Christ if I can just get into heaven anyway? And I have a good answer for that, but I want to hear yours.
1: Yeah, it makes me sad when when people say that because um, it makes me think somehow that their experience of following Christ has been uh, not very good for their human flourishing. It hasn't. It has not produced in them the fruits of joy. Um, and that's and I and I understand that because I grew up in a fundamentalist evangelical fundagelical, church myself. And it wasn't very much joy. It was a lot of duty and a lot of fear and a lot of shame um, and a lot of sameness, a lot of repetition. Um, and I just think we sort of are, it's like our imaginations got dulled. The, the The longer the church has existed, the duller, the duller it has gotten and, and all of its sharp edges are gone. And it's it's not surprising. It doesn't it doesn't grab anyone by the collar and just shake them up, you know? And so it just makes me sad when people say, yeah, I I wouldn't bother with this at all. If I weren't afraid of hell, I'm like, man, that is just such a diminished impoverished idea of what it means to uh, be embraced by the deity of the cosmos. (laughs) It's just very small.
0: Yeah. I think it's this idea of, well, then i don't think you're doing christianity right if if it's yeah, only I, if it's only a ticket to the future for you then the kingdom of god there's there has like the kingdom of god is is now it's here with you jesus says so there, yeah. there's this inbreaking of the kingdom and if you're not experiencing it now then you're not going to know what to expect for the future you know there and, yeah. and anyway um and one of the ways, though, in which we experience that in breaking the kingdom, the kingdom of, of God being present, the kingdom of heaven is among you, comes through community with God's people. And that's, yeah. that's the second half of your book, is yeah. that God gets everything God wants. And in the biggest miracle of all, uh, God chooses to work through his people to achieve those ends. Mm-hmm. How does that look? for you in your church setting?
1: I I said actually in my sermon just this past Sunday, that when I die, uh, they're going to put on my tombstone. Don't try to do this alone (laughs) (laughs) because I say this again and again and again. And I find on, on every page and every pericope of scripture, I find an urging for people to, uh, reach out in vulnerability and humility and generosity to each other. Mm-hmm. That, that we are meant to be on this road together, doing this as a band of siblings, you know, journeying toward God's beautiful future, that indeed even the discernment piece about what God wants uh, is something we work on together. and that the Holy Spirit, uh, the spirit of the living Christ comes to us in community so that we're checking each other. We're checking each other. It's like saying, Hey, did you hear that? Did you hear that? I think I, I think I heard something and and in conversation with each other in prayer with each other, and sometimes just in singing karaoke with each other. Um, we find now that we have something together that we would not have had had we been left alone. So there are a couple ways this plays out specifically at Galileo church. One is that um, When folks are experiencing a kind of spiritual renewal of some kind, or they've decided to give God one more chance or give the church one more chance, however they're thinking of that, they'll say to me something like, I got to get a new Bible because I'm going to read the whole Bible through this year. I'm going to get up early every day and I'm going to have my quiet time and I'm going to read the Bible. And I say, yeah, please don't do that. Please don't, please don't do that. Um, for one thing, it's dangerous. <laughs> the Bible is hard, and it says more than one thing about all kinds of things. Uh, and you don't want to get you don't want to get um, uh, tricked into stopping at the wrong place and thinking this is the final word. This is what God has to say about me or about the world or about my neighbor or my sibling or my cousin or my roommate. You just you really need to be reading the Bible the way God's people always read the Bible for so very long in history um, until quite, quite recently during the enlightenment, when we all got copies of the scriptures for ourselves and took them home. That's <laughs> a very recent introduction in human history that we could all do that. And my my best argument um, for reading the scripture in community is that Jesus read scripture in community. It's the only way he ever did. He went to the synagogue like everybody else, and he used the communal scrolls to read. He memorized what he could. And we know that he had quite a lot of it down by heart, right? Cause he, he was able to use it, but it was the community conversation around Bible reading that empowered Jesus to uh, pull forward the words of his ancestors when he needed them. So that's, it's a, it's a community aspect. I could go on. There are many ways that we talk about this at our church, but don't try to do this alone. It's It's too hard by that. I mean, the whole faith project, it's just too hard, which is what makes me sad about um, folks who declare themselves spiritual, but not religious. I mean, I get why they're doing that. I totally understand that religious institutions have proved ourselves untrustworthy in so many cases. And so people just exit the churches, but still feel a connection to God. They still love Jesus. They still think Christianity is a very decent path. Um, But to me, spiritual, but not religious just sounds like alone, but not together so that you're just on your own trying to do this really difficult thing, which is even just to maintain faith day to day, not only during a pandemic, but especially during a pandemic. It's really hard. Mm
0: -hmm. I think a, a a problem with the church is that it can give this illusion of togetherness when it really is just a bunch of individuals coming together and watching a performance for an hour on Sunday and then leaving. And the community yeah. that's fostered is, I mean, you, I don't want to discount the very real, very good relationships and connections that many people probably have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but overall, when you look at the level of community in the early church compared to the average church today, it, it's n- nowhere on the same level. Uh, and there's there's any number of reasons for that, and then and then particularly in our in our context today, COVID hits, all the churches, most of the churches shut down, or they they're forced to to figure out what their core values are in terms of how they come together. And I can recall at the church that I was at at the time, one of the first weeks after we all went online, and it was after a you know long discussion and of course not everyone had the same opinion on you know what should be done when and and such and so we you know we made this decision that we're going to just be live streaming for the time being all from our homes and so all of us very quickly at this point learned all this new technology and we figured out we're going to do our best to pull to- the service together and I remember preaching. You know, today was a much harder day for us to get together than it normally is. And so, for those of you that are out there listening, this is more church than what you're used to, because you mm-hmm. had to work. You had to work to be here this morning instead of rely on the years of just tradition and rote memory of this is what I do on Sundays at this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had to change all of that and amid a very uncertain time in. National life, to Mm -hmm. decide. I still want to to be a part of this community, even though I mean this was this was our older people who didn't have access to computers, uh, calling in on their landlines and listening to it. uh, You know, eventually this was you know purchasing cheap tablets for some of those people so they could have it on video and are getting them internet connections. You know, it just things like that. Um, How how is COVID? changed or refined the way that that you've looked at local church gathering.
1: Yeah, we <laughs> we've been talking a lot about the quite quite ancient doctrine of incarnation. Mm-hmm. If we say how important it was, how essential it was for God's own self to be embodied in the person of Jesus of Nazareth and we make so much of that, right? From from his conception and birth all the way through to the ultimate expression of his mortality in death. Um, And then we say that the tomb was emptied. Even that is an expression of incarnation. That's an expression of a body not being where it's supposed to be. Um, So having the church, having expressed this, the heaviness of this doctrine for 2000 years, and then suddenly we're doing worship in a way that is disembodied. You know, we're not getting our, we are not breathing the same air. We can't hug or shake hands or bump fists. And we're, we're doing this over, you know, wiggling electrons on screens and through wires. Like how, how now does the church speak about embodiment and incarnation that it's just, it's been, it's been ongoing and that that idea, that theological or Christological idea comes up in all kinds of conversations about all kinds of things, including the Lord's Supper, including singing, including karaoke, including uh just how we even, you know, how do we play together? How do we, how do we share life together? So um, it it was it was interesting. We had gone our we had we had gone online with worship actually just before the pandemic. We had been working on that all through 2019 and went online the first Sunday of Advent in 2019, so just uh, December and you know, a few weeks later in March, we all went home and then all of us were online. And for just an instant, I'm talking about a matter of couple of weeks, there was some real fear, uh, I'll confess it, in my own heart. It's like, oh no, if we can't provide the programming, if we can't draw people together in the same place, how then will the church survive? How then will relationships survive? And um, we had to collectively take a deep, deep breath and remember that we had been working on these real relationships for years together. We had been working on these. We had been working on how to be honest and vulnerable and bring our whole selves to each other without You know, bifurcating or fragmenting ourselves and only bringing apart. We had been working on this for a long, long time, uh, and learning each other's stories. And none of that got taken away, just because our physical gathering space got taken away. And once we kind of came back to ourselves after that initial blip of panic, we started then exploring. Then, what are the possibilities for what's available to us and safe for us? that will continue to nourish these relationships. What are they going to be? And, and we started just inventing stuff, just trying anything. And some of that stuff really, really worked and stuck. And it stuck even after it was safe for us to regather for the like second half of 2021. Now we're locked down again for just, we hope a short time, but without the same sense of panic mm-hmm. that things will dissolve because we can't see each other face to face because we can't hug each other mostly.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think you've you've learned that your relationship is more than a shared location.
1: Thank goodness. And that our relationships are more than what the church, the infrastructure of the church, uh was managing for us. There's such a tendency in church. I was a pastor of traditional church for almost two decades. And There was so much about that kind of pastoral ministry, congregational ministry, where we're just managing people in a really condescending way. We're managing their friendships. We're managing their dinner plans. We're managing their entertainment. We're managing their prayers. We're just managing stuff all the time. So condescending. But if we really believe uh, that I'm going to say it the way we say it at Galileo, maybe you'll bleep me out later, but we say you are a grown ass adult imbued with the spirit of the living Christ each one of you each one of you is that so we don't have to manage all that stuff we don't have to manage all your friendships and your dinner time and your prayer time you can you can do that we'll build a lattice a kind of light infrastructure that can help you get that stuff started but once it started it just grows and it and, and it just grows on its own pandemic or no Galileo church or no I feel if the church poofed out of existence I believe those relationships would endure
0: yeah yeah so just to close things down the book is God gets everything God wants and if someone was reading this and they could only take away one thing uh, what would you what would you want that to be
1: don't try to do this alone yeah Yeah. that would be a don't try to do this alone find find a community of readers. Find a community of skeptics or believers, but people that you trust and people who can receive your whole self and then give yourself entirely to the project of trying to figure out what God is up to in this world God still loves. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Katie, for taking time out of your day to be on the podcast. Uh, The book, again, God Gets Everything God Wants. It's published by Erdman's. It's available now uh, wherever you get your books. It is a Uh, We didn't even get to talk about your writing style, which I think is so great, by the way. It's very, very, it made me rethink when I say that books are conversationally written. Uh, Yours is truly (laughs) conversationally written. Uh, So we didn't get a chance to talk about that. So pick the book up and read the first couple of pages. And I guarantee you'll be hooked and you'll want to want to read and know more.
1: Josh, you are so kind for this conversation. Thank you. It's the gift. Thanks.